Welcome, allow yourself to settle and arrive. We'll begin in one minute. Welcome to Awakening, Torah, Musar, Mindfulness. If you see me beaming, smiling with joy, it is because we are on a new Torah cycle together. A new year in the Torah cycle reading of the Jewish calendar. We began last week with Berit, and that is still a being recorded and will be shared with you. I thank you for your patience that it wasn't readily available due to family illness and travel around that. So thank you for your patience. It will be out today. And I encourage you to witness the Bereshit, the first Torah portion uh, that we missed together from last week. And now we will be covering Parashat Noach that we're going to enter, that hopefully you heard yesterday, either in your communities or have read and studied to be able to jump in with some background knowledge with it. Before we jump in, it is our practice here at the Institute for Holiness, Kehilat Musar, to come with our kavanot, our intentions for today's practice. So right now I'm going to pull that up together, if I can readily find it. Here we go. For those of you who are visual learners or here watching on video, this will be shared screen with you. For those who will be listening on audio, on podcast, or on Insight Timer, uh, you will hear me read this out loud. So before doing acts of caring for the self, which is what you see in front of you right now, the first intention, the first kavanah. That we say that this is something that I am doing right now in this half hour, 45 minutes together of engaging in this awakening practice to strengthen my own soul in order to be a benefit to others in the future. Then we also say that we're doing this practice together, this practice and learning today, that we're doing this for others so that we can strengthen our relationships to them, that we can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need us. And finally, we are doing this to strengthen our relationship with the divine, however we may define the divine or that relationship. So we say, I'm strengthening my relationship with the creator so I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. So may it be so, may we merit this during our short time together covering. So for all of you joining right now on Zoom, welcome. Everyone's welcome to come on on Zoom during the week. Uh, The link is on our website of kahilakmusar.com, or also you can find us live streaming on YouTube and later, or sometimes live at the same time it is posted on Facebook or in LinkedIn or Twitter. So welcome to everyone. This is a precious moment where you are really taking the time for your self-care, your practice, and your learning. So, and Basically, I'm going to start off with the assumption that you already know Bereshit and Noach. If you don't, I encourage you to read those in whatever language you understand, since we have people from all over the world joining us, and uh, really be able to understand that I'm going to delve in 
to a particular section from a Musar mindfulness perspective, which is our specialty of bringing Musar of the Jewish tradition and the Dharma of mindfulness to really have that synergy to strengthen our wisdom and our insight and our growth, our transformation. So we went from in Bereshit, in the beginning, the first creation story. We went from having Chava, also known as Eve in English, violating one rule, which is that she wasn't to eat from the tree, right? But she wasn't actually even told that rule. She wasn't commanded. It was actually Adam, the male, known as Adam in English. She wasn't commanded directly, but she went ahead and engaged in this. He engaged in it. Then everyone kind of what we noticed passed the buck, right? When there was the moment of opportunity to admit, I did this, I shouldn't have done this. Instead, it was, you know, she made me do it and the snake made me do it. <laughs> everyone had their own terutz, their own excuse, which I'm sure in your own lifetime, you've probably had that experience where you've done something that you know that you weren't supposed to do. And then instead of taking responsibility, there's the excuse. We move from that to what happens essentially is a homicide. The offspring, the son of Adam and Chava moves to homicide that probably wasn't his intention to actually murder his brother, Hevil, right? We're dealing with Cain here, right? Cain in English. But he actually, whether we can, we can never really figure out his intention, right? His covenant, but it's basically assumed that he didn't know that whatever he did with his acting out with his uh, depression and his despair and his anger uh, of being rejected, his offering being rejected, that he internalized as a rejection of the self, that I'm not sure he really knew that it was going to end the life of his brother. We don't know. This is a lot we just don't know. We have, the tradition has a lot to say about it. We can have our own assumptions. But what happens is he, like his role models before him, which he only had two role models. He only had his mother and father, Chava and Adam, who weren't the best at taking responsibility. He too doesn't take responsibility. He negates, right? So we remove from this story, this background in Bereshit, to what happens in Noah right? And the and Parashat Noah in English, all creatures, all entities, all beings, all with a living spirit moving through them become corrupt. And the world 10 generations after Adam is now full of Hamas, which translates as violence, as oppression. Can you imagine moving in 10 generations, whether that be 250 years or 150, whatever amount you consider a generation, moving from doing an act of eating from a tree that you weren't supposed to eat to by accident and homicide murdering your brother, which is horrible, right? Just want to pause and just, that's the first death, right? It's the first homicide in the Torah and in the story in our lineage and our people's narrative, this master text, this master book that so many peoples from all over the world turn to, whether they're Jewish or not. And 
to this story now where everyone, not just human beings, the earth, the animals, everything is imagined to be corrupt and full of violence. Okay. So the human being as a collective, we're going to see this now as a project. Uh, the human being as a collective has decided or through habituated behavior, either way, how you want to word this to destroy the earth, even before God does through their very behavior of how they're treating each other and themselves and the planet and the earth, they've already moved through acts of destruction, destructing souls, destructing lives, destroying the planet. We're well aware of this behavior. We're kind of in it somewhat right now. God forbid that we see everyone as corrupt, right? And as full of violence, but we're, we're not foreign to this idea of massive amount of humans behaving in <clears throat> behavior that in some way is undoing the creation of the world. Okay. So basically when Hashem, when God, if you want to see this as karma, right, as consequence, that the human behavior essentially has started already undoing creation on um, destroying the world, that this coming of God of releasing the floodwaters was just in some ways, a consequence of the human neglect to the earth and to each other and to all living beings. So I just want to hold that because we want to pay attention to how our daily behavior, habituated or not, has an effect on society around us. And if we're going to do this practice and try to be the best people we can be and transform this world and save it for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, we need to be aware that our behavior has effect on creation and on the world. So if we go back to Bereshit, where there is this Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God comes through, right? And in that moment, that spirit, that Ruach manifests a life and energy and it creates and it transfers basically part of that Ruach, part of that element of the divine to every object that is created, to every being that is affected and touched by this. And essentially God is in everything. God is in us. It is profound moment, okay? And in that moment to allow corruption, to allow violence, to allow oppression, essentially, it's like it, it, we were given life and we were given the life force of the creator, okay? This beautiful thing. All that it was good was in that moment of creation, right? God's good, as we say. And that basically it's going to end essentially this, we, when we are corrupt towards one another, when we're violent towards each other in the earth, we essentially end this ongoing creation that is the potential of all of us, the potential of practice, the potential of being on this path towards holiness. That covenant, that relationship has been profoundly affected. And so the, the, as I said, this kind of karmic consequence of failing the Ruach Elohim in the soil, in our fellow human beings, in ourself, is essentially both Adam, the human being, and Adama, the, the world, the soil, the earth, will now be highly, it'll be undoing of creation. And it's a profoundly sad and tragic story. If you really pay a attention and read it slowly. Uh, if you're anything like me delving in this, I wish I had more time with you. 
it's profound, it's tragic. And there's a sadness that I feel like we need to really tap into and allow ourselves to feel because we're so aware of it. We're so aware of it today. The fear of the climate change and the global warming and the constant war and the violence. We witness this, we hear it, we see it, we live it, some of us, God forbid. And we're aware that we are undoing this spark in each of us that's in the soil that we are supposed to take care of, that we've been given this leadership, this beautiful task, this great responsibility. And so to let ourselves on this global level have this face, this kind of intergenerational trauma, this collective trauma that our ancestors have caused, we even witness it in this master narrative, the story of Noah that is going on today that we might on some level be perpetuating, God forbid, right? And so I want us to allow ourselves to mourn and to feel that and to be aware of it without practicing aversion, without pushing it away. Because when we push it away, then we're not doing the practice around it, okay? So we just want to hold that as part of our practice. Um, so basically what happens in the story is Kayan's line back in Bereshit disappears, right? Completely disappears, never to be heard of again, the person who ended up committing homicide against his brother, right? And then Noah comes along, Noah in English, He's this figure who's actually awarded a special title of distinction, the first in the Torah and the Hebrew Bible. So here we have Kayan as what I would say is like your anti-witness. He's not awake. He's not alert to his behavior and the great responsibility that he had to have that ruach elokim inside of him, that divine spark. And then we have Noah, who is finally someone who's witnessing, right? He's a witness to all of this. We're actually told that he's sadiq, he is righteous, right? What does that mean exactly? We're told that he's tamim, which you know can be translated as wholehearted, pure. There's a certain sense of yashar, of uprightness. Uh, so we want to hold this in mind because a lot of us wonder, which I, I'll cover in Bereshit, like why, what, why was you know Kayan's, um, what did he actually do wrong in his offering? Uh, well, well, you can watch that video when it comes out later this evening uh, to explore that. But basically what I want to point out is what is the difference between these two? How do we understand Sadiq and how do we understand uh, Tamim? So basically our tradition understands that to be Sadiq, right? Or Sadiqit, right? Someone uh, is that you're in the right. You have a moral compass and you know that you're behaving in alignment with your values the way that is of benefit to others and yourself that is not causing harm and suffering, okay? So that's Noah. We could argue about Noah not trying to recruit more people and put out more warning. Like where, where was the extension of his righteousness? But let's just hold this right now. Then we're told he's Tamim, right? He's, uh, he's wholehearted. He's, uh, he's Yashar. He's um, upright. He's without blemish. There's this sense that he has this strong integrity and consistency. And if you look at his behavior, that is it. He's told to build the ark. Could you imagine building an ark 
He builds an ark and he works on it daily. He's consistent. He's full of integrity. He's following what he's been commanded to do, right? This is the story. And so in some sense, he's unblemished. So what is the issue with Kayan? We'll look at the previous video, but uh, clearly we can see that he's not necessarily uh, in the right. Uh, he don't only brings uh, basic fruit from the land, whatever that might mean, we'll delve into that. Uh, but there's not real sense that there's a blemish there and he's aware of it too. So much so that when he is, when his offering is rejected, as you may recall in Bereshit, he is so crestfallen. He's internalized that it's him. He has unbalanced humility. So in the Musar teachings of the Midot, we have the Mida of Anava, of humility. And that Mida is someone who is balanced. They love themselves. They know their worth. They know that the Ruach Elohim, the spark of God is in them. They know they're here for a reason, whether, whether they know that reason or not, it's obviously to bring God's good to others, right? Which is our practice, our intention. And so um, Kayan is too much humility. He really has this low self-worth. He falls into a depression. There's despair. There's a real sadness and tragedy to it. And of course, that leads to outward violence towards his brother, a harm and suffering caused to Hevel. And then even later on, he's not even aware completely of the consequences of this behavior. He actually says, what have I done? I've made it so I can't even be in your presence. I've caused such a stain, something that can't be undone, that I can no longer be in your presence. Imagine that pain, right? Maybe some of you have that right now. You feel that you've done something so much so. Now, hopefully you haven't committed homicide or murder. And I'll just say that this is our practice in this next year together to really balance our humility, to come to this real internalization that we are created in the divine. And so are you. And so are you. And so are you. And think about how we treat ourselves and how we would treat others if we really internalize that. Have this balanced anava, this balanced humility that we cannot cause harm and suffering to others. It's, it won't even be possible because we know that the vine is in us and we are one. And it's not just words. This is not just a mantra we say or a morning affirmation. This is a practice we're going to internalize daily together in our practices of Musar mindfulness. And when we meet weekly to go through these Torah portions every 55 of them, Mazalto of congratulations that we got through the first year together. All right, so let me say a little bit more. Basically, <clears throat> what happens is we witness Noah being balanced in humility to build this big teva, this big ark. And um, God basically responds at the end of the whole flood saying that uh, I'm not going to curse the earth on account of the human being meaning there's a sense that the divine here has stopped with the attachment to the human being being a certain way, okay? And so what happens to the human beings through this story? They come out of this trauma, the ones who have survived and then obviously reproduced, were fruitful and multiplied. This is over generations. And the people who've inherited this uh, this intergenerational trauma, the story of the flood 
coming out of this, they suddenly want to build a migdal, a tower. And I really think that whole tower experience, as much as people try to knock down them as being arrogant or wanting to be like God, I don't think that's it. I think it's a, you're witnessing a response to trauma, that people are fearful. They want to build a tower to feel safe, to be seen, to be known, that it can't be erased through a flood, that they can't just be taken, right? That their spark within will remain in some form. Now, obviously, it, it, it's a, the intention is there, but the impact is not what is needed in society. It's one that can cause great harm and suffering, building such huge projects like that and requiring the population to do so, right? So um, essentially that there's a fear of death, a fear of being scattered all over the earth, which is essentially if, you, if you're going to have compassion towards the people who are building the Migdal, they have no desire to fill the earth. They don't want to be scattered all over. They feel fearful. They want to remain together. And uh, you can imagine the stories passed down from Noah to his son, to their children and grandchildren of seeing the massive amount of bodies floating in the flood, being scattered throughout the whole world and the consequences of that flood that I'm not even sure God is aware of the long-term consequences of that flood and the fear that, that that can cause and how that can drive human beings to do behavior that is not balanced, right? So this flood, the world, the intergenerational trauma, this was the undoing of creation, right? This karmic consequence of human beings undoing creation from the start, essentially this undoing of the Ruach Elohim of God's creation. This is what we're witnessing. And what really needs to happen as part of our practice and even what we want to see ideally through the Torah, through the whole year, is for the human being to develop into insight that we need to repair more of this harmonious relationship with the earth, with the soil, with the Adama, with Adam, with the human being, and with the divine. Instead of creating technology or conditions to not feel vulnerable, right? Instead of addressing the profound rupture in our relationships with each other and the earth and with the divine, okay? So um, I will close this teaching for today before we move into our actual seated, uh, seated meditation practice is that um, if we from Bereshit, from the beginning of creation, are a sign of God's handiwork, which we are, right, of creation. I really feel like Noah did, he, we have this whole story of him not getting on the boat, on, on, on the Teva, on the Ark. He, he actually waited until the, the water was to his heels. He was commanded to the, the, while the floods already started happening, and he was commanded to enter the Ark. So anyone reading this closely would be like, what? why wasn't he already on the ark? Why do you think Noah wasn't already on that ark? Because he did not want that sign of that ship to be a sign of undoing creation, of all living, all living entities were about to be destroyed, right? He did not want that. It was intense. It was like an acknowledgement of, yes, I built the Teva. Yes, I built the ark. 
I did what I was supposed to do, but I don't want you to undo it. I don't want you to go forward with it, God. Can you pause? Can you maybe not have this karmic consequence of what the human beings have already done to the world and to each other? And unfortunately, that's just not the case. We all know it to be. We all know it to be in our daily lives that consequences of our behavior come and they will. So this is our practice, is holding this, okay? So how are we going to do this? There's a wonderful practice I'm going to honor right now coming from Jamie Arnold, who is a wonderful supporter of the Institute for Holiness, Kehilat Musar, a beloved rabbi himself. And he adapts this whole Pardes approach towards learning, which you can uh, look up yourselves or be in touch with me in email and I'll share with you what that means. He adapts it to something called Torah Tamima, which is really nice because it's coming from Tamim, right? This Yashar, this uprightness. And so we're going to develop first, we're going to identify what is the Mida or even Midot, the, the character traits we're witnessing in this Torah portion that we want to practice around. So um, even building off of Bereshit, which you'll be able to witness the video um, later on, on our YouTube channel or on our website, um, that essentially what we're dealing with is humility, anava, and really balancing that. And that helps with the Mida of strength, whether it's Chizuk or Gibor, right? The sense of um, Musar, understanding of strength is not how physically strong you are, it's about how strong you are internally to say no to yourself, to not react, to not cause harm and suffering. It's an internal strength to behave in ways that you know are upright and you want to do that are in alignment with your values. Okay, so those are the midot that we're facing right now that our ancestors in the Bereshit story and Noah are facing and trying to deal with and are, you know, incredibly unbalanced in different ways, right? Or maybe balanced. So we're going to identify those midot. And then we're going to practice a mitzvah, a commandment around this midah and the sense of service of others. So how could we possibly do this? So I want you to this week, and just like in the week of from Bereshit, is to really find that which is upright in anyone that you are interacting with. Find that beautiful point of Ruach Elohim in them. Find that which you want to emulate, even if you have to look really hard for it, right? That's the practice. That's our mitzvah. That's what we're going to do in service of others. We're going to find how they are really wonderful, how they add such holiness to the world, and we're going to even let them know it, okay? We're going to identify it for them. Finally, the third practice around this is what we, he calls avodah. So with the midah, the mitzvah, and the avodah, which is service, right? In, in modern Hebrew, it means work, but uh, in our tradition, it means a service. So here, the service is this intra, inside, personal spiritual practice. And this is our practice of the seated daily meditation that we're going to do around metta, around chesed, loving kindness to really build our self-esteem and our worth to internalize that we really are created in the image and likeness of the divine, because that's going to build so much strength and balanced humility in us. So right now, as we do every week, I want you to come to an upright posture, whatever that means to you. It can be in a seated posture. 
It could be lying down. It could be walking with no place in particular to go. And it could be just standing either in a mountain pose or next to a chair so that you feel secure. And what we're going to do together is if you feel safe and comfortable and you have vision, you're going to close your eyes so that you can kind of knock out, close off anything that's outside of you right now. All right. And you're going to take three deep cleansing breaths. Inhalation. Exhalation. Allowing your feet to firmly go on the ground if you're in a chair. Inhalation. Exhalation. Letting yourself begin to settle. Inhalation. Exhalation. Allowing yourself to really arrive. Coming to that stillness, to that quiet space. And that might not be what's real for you internally right now, and that's okay. It's simply acknowledging that you might be having lots of thoughts, what we call monkey mind, the jumping of the thoughts back and forth, thinking about something in the past, planning for the future. For some of us, we might be caught up in the sensations in the body distracting us from the present moment, whether it be tension or pain, that which is unpleasant. And then for some of us, it might be emotions that are attached to the certain sensations in the body, to the thoughts. Notice if you're having any storytelling. Recognizing all of this is part of the practice that when we sit in mindfulness meditation, we're not trying to cause something to happen, to control the breath or the thoughts. We simply are witnesses to whatever arises and just being with it. No need to over-identify with it. No need to react to it and push it away. Just being here. No need to control the breath anymore, allowing it to settle into its own natural rhythm. Allowing my voice to be your anchor, that if you do travel off into thinking mode or somewhere else, when you wake up to it, you just bring yourself back to my voice, back to your breath and body. From time to time, I will go silent. For those of you new to meditation, it's just giving you an opportunity to sit, to be with whatever arises. I will ring the bell when we are done with our meditation. You can trust that you will be carried through the practice. So our practice in balancing humility over time, this year of Torah cycle together, it awakens us to the connectedness of all of life, which is coming from the source, the one source, the divine, the creator of all beings. And the starting place is offering of care to our own being. 
a simple practice. It's direct, it's powerful, and it awakens us from the trance of unworthiness or the trance of thinking that we are worth more than anyone else. By regarding ourselves with kindness, we begin to dissolve the identity of this isolated, deficient self or the isolated, over-sufficient self. Wherever we may be on this continuum of anava, of humility, we slowly over time will create the grounds for including others in this loving heart. Relax any areas of your body that might be tense or tight. Take some moments right now to feel the breath at your heart. Breathing in, sense that you are receiving warmth and energy. Breathing out, sense that you are letting go into the openness that we all share, walk Elohim, the spirit. Silently now and in a whisper form, you're going to offer prayers of chesed, of metta, of loving kindness. You will repeat quietly to yourself after me. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be held in loving kindness. May I feel safe and at ease. May I feel protected from inner and outer harm. May I touch deep, natural peace. May I accept myself just as I am. May I know the natural joy of being alive being of service. May I find true refuge within my own being, refuge in that spark of the divine within. May my heart and mind awaken, may I be free. The practice over time 
of building this space, this internal world of tenderness, of being at home with the knowledge, with the internalization that we are created in the image and likeness of the divine. We will regard ourselves and others with kindness, a sense of connectedness and freedom from trance, freedom from reactivity. Allow yourself to sit the next minute in silence. I will ring the bell when we are to come out. If your eyes are shut, gently and slowly open them to come back into this shared, sacred Zoom, live streaming YouTube space. I'm Rabbi Chasya Uriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of the Institute for Holiness, Kehillat Nusar. And today is Sunday, October 30th, 2022 in which we delved into Parashat Noach, which we studied together on Saturday, October 29th, which was the fourth of Cheshvan, the Hebrew month of Cheshvan. And it is our second sitting and uh, learning together of starting the new cycle. And I'm honored to be here with you and your practice. We may take a few minutes uh, for those of you joining us on Zoom, if you wish, for any comments of how that practice and teaching was for you, any questions. Otherwise, I will leave you in the sacred silence to say goodbye. But I will wait a minute. You're welcome to take yourself off Zoom and show yourself or not. It's up to you. Okay, delighted to have you, Jeannie, and those Mel, I believe, and others who joined us briefly. Thank you so much. Again, be in touch with your sponsorships of who you want to honor or dedicate this in memory of. And uh, we always kindly accept your donations to support this offering and everything that we do at the Institute. So thank you so much. I look forward to connecting, being with you next week. Take care.